Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Magic and the Other Guy. And surprise, surprise, Kevin and I are sitting outside my home on the banks of Lake Wiley in Charlotte, North Carolina. But unlike our previous episode, Kevin, that we recorded fairly recently, today is not beautiful weather. No, I think brooding skies brooding, sums it up well. Yeah, brooding skies is exactly right. It is suddenly darkened a lot and the sky has become very steely gray and broody as you very poetically say i think ourselves and the listener may hear a rumble here throughout <laughs> maybe worse we'll find out well we'll see we'll have a go but yeah we'll, could hear the pitter patter could hear whatever well know. there was a little pitter patter earlier on about five minutes before you arrived and i was wondering whether or not we were in for a lot of rain but it it has abated, but the skies are looking, as you quite rightly described, broody and threatening and grey. I, I never know what we're going to be talking about during these little sessions of ours. You do, so get us underway. All right. Well, quite often we enjoy talking about uh, entertainment. We do. Genres of entertainment. We do. And one that we've not touched on yet is live performance. Live performance. Not concerts. We've covered those. Not yes. like comedy shows. We've covered those. But yes. other forms of art performance art or the, the performing arts right or such yeah so so we're talking plays and um broadway theater shows sure anything that's you know can be on a stage or or such that's yes. typical atypical of what we've discussed before yes well i one of my favorite plays is an old play called the ghost train and it is set in a train station in England um, during the 1940s, I think during the Second World War. Um, I have seen it performed once live, but thankfully due to the internet and YouTube, you can find a film version of it on, uh, on YouTube and it's very entertaining, very gripping. Very good. Yeah, a little bit of a sort of murder mystery ghost story, but I always like that play. How far does it go back? Do you know its origins? I think I want to, well, I'm going to say it was set in the 1940s, and I say that without wanting to ruin the play, because that era and whatever was happening in the world at that time forms a part of the plot. I won't say any more because it'll ruin it for anybody else who wants to watch it. Ah. Yeah. Well, so what was, uh, do you remember what your first, like, performances were, maybe seeing them as a kid? Gosh, well, we never used to get to many theatres simply because there wasn't an awful lot around us. But what was very popular and continues to be popular in England, far more so than I think in the United States, um, are the pantomime play productions that happened in, in England around Christmas time, where um, they're all set on the stage, of course, and uh, they're set around fairy tales. Um, very much, very much in a way for the benefit of kids, but exactly like The Simpsons are written and many other things now, there are subtle undertones for the adults to pick up on it as well. And they have wonderful things. Like the great line of a great line of um, of English pantomime theatre is, "He's behind you." Does that ring a bell at all? No, I mean I've heard okay. the term, but so you would have you would have the hero at the front of the stage, for example. Peter Pan is a very popular one. So let's say Peter Pan is the hero of the production. 
and um, who's the who, who's the villain? Captain Captain, Captain Hook, Hook would Captain be Captain Hook yeah. would be the villain. So uh, Peter Pan would be at the front of the stage, talking, breaking the fourth wall, and talking to the kids and throwing out bags of candy, that sort of things, you know, and sneaking behind our hero would become the villain, and uh, the hero would say something like, "Now, of course, if you see." old Captain Hook, make sure you tell me where he is. And of course, all the kids will then shout out, he's behind you. Oh, okay. At which time, very carefully choreographed, the hero will start to turn and the villain will turn at the same time so that the hero doesn't see what Stays behind is. him the whole but time. But there's nobody there. Turn back to the audience. He's behind you. And this goes on. But this is a classic thing in, in oh, okay. pantomime. Yes, it's v incredibly popular in England and has been for seemingly for decades. I almost want to think I saw one like that one time, but I can't recall it for yeah. sure. But the, the, the idea is there. Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves, you, you, you name it, Sleeping Beauty, all of those things have always been incorporated into... Uh, into theatre and typically you'll get uh, movie stars to a degree although movie stars probably tend to charge too much these days but uh, sitcom actors and actresses will will take a lead in that and particularly comedians will take a role in Very that. Good. Yeah and I, that so I, that was my first exposure I would guess to theatre would be pantomime. And I was you know of course I knew I was going to bring up this topic and I think looking back I guess my earliest would be uh, performances that came to our school. Okay. We had a we had a gymnasium set up where yeah, it was the the length of the gym. You know, you had your basketball hoops and you know, all your gym equipment and stuff. But at the end, there was a rise stage. You yeah. Because you do multi-purpose, and they really wouldn't put chairs for us. We would just come in and sit on the floor. Yeah. And these this troop would come through, and I know it happened at least twice. You know, that school went from kindergarten to sixth grade, maybe maybe more, mm. um, or more times they came. But they would be marionettes. They'd bring a marionette stage. Oh, cool. And I know they did one that was either Alibaba and the Forty Thieves yeah. or Aladdin. I can't remember oh, which of the go. two yeah. it was. Yeah. And there was one, at least another one. I can't remember what the story. It might have been, you know, like a Snow White, Cinderella type thing. Yeah. But uh, so that might have been my first seeing something live that wasn't on you know, yeah. a, a screen or a, a video or movie. Well, that sounds and not too different from pantomime production. Probably not. Really. Yeah, and yeah. they and they uh, probably were pretty interactive. But I do remember vividly at the very end, they would pull back the curtains at top and show how it all worked. Yeah. You know, and they they show how I stand up here, and if I pull, do this, this wire pulls this. And I think they probably brought up one or two kids and let them kind of, here, you try it, you know, and stuff like that. So it gave you kind of behind the scenes, which was nice. And it's a skill, for oh, sure. Oh, very much it? so. Very yeah, much so. It's an absolute skill. Yeah, but that's no. probably my first introduction to anything live. Yeah. Now, we occasionally used to go from school to the theater, very occasionally. But the one production I do remember attending as a school kid, and again, all our stories of my school, we're all about nine, ten, thereabouts, you know. Uh, we went to a th little theatre, I think it was in Nottingham, uh, you know, Sherwood Forest, Robin Hood, Nottingham. And it was a, a theatre that was in the round, I remember that. And the production, it caught my imagination, I remember it to this day. It's funny, I don't know how you always do this, Kevin, you bring up these topics, and I'd never thought about this play for 40-something <laughs> years, but I still remember it now. We're going down to the deepest recesses yeah. in the corner hall of the brain. Seriously, and it was... So the, the plot of the production was supposed to be we were all crew members of a submarine that was about to dive to the deepest depths of the oceans. And for its time, it was quite advanced because it was all about pollutions of the ocean and how we must take care of the oceans and not make such a terrible mess of them. So we were, in theory, going down, 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 down this deep uh, 
uh, ravine and an ocean. And at some point, something happened to the uh, motors, the engines of the submarine. Uh, and uh, we were out of control and there was lots of flashing lights and all of this happening, you know, we were apparently on the seabed. And then the lights went out in the theatre. And of course, this was all very dramatic because we're now in the dark. And then there was a sort of little bit of um, dry ice effect and in walks a sea monster into the middle, you know, and imagine, my goodness, you know, sea monsters here. And uh, so the crew are talking to the sea monster, like, why are you here? Please don't do us any harm. And the sea monster is saying, you've got to take care of the oceans, that everyone that lives on the surface is making such a mess of the oceans that we, we must, uh, you know, you must take better care of the oceans or the creatures that live in the sea will die. And one of the crew members says, well, what do you think we should do? How, how do you think we should do that? And the sea monster said, you should try eating this food that I have here. And it was some sweet thing, you know, some candy or something. And uh, he handed out samples to the kids in the audience. And I, I don't know what made me think this. Uh, again, because I was only very young. And I didn't put my hand up and ask the monster this, but I was very close to doing it. I was thinking, but it does seem to contain an awful lot of sugar. How about if you're a diabetic or you can't eat things with sugar in? Why this crossed my mind at nine or 10, I don't know. But I never, one of, in a great moment of regret, I never felt brave enough to ask the sea monster what he should suggest if uh, for those that were intolerant of sugary food. Well, if you can track him down now, <laughs> the actor playing him, maybe you can finally get to answer your question. That's right, yeah. Get an answer to your question. Yeah, but I do remember, it was, a, it was a great fun day out, and we never had many of them, as you can imagine, but well, that was one of them. Well, I remember, um, too, this was in elementary school, because again, all the, you know, I have to remember, anything when Tennessee had to be pre-sixth grade or when I moved to the middle of sixth grade. We did uh, go to the ballet once. Oh, right. Um, yeah. I don't think it was around the holiday, so it wasn't like the Nutcracker or anything. It was just a general ballet. I remember it kind of wasn't my thing, yeah. but we went and saw it. Yeah. So I can say I saw the ballet. I'm trying to think if there's anything else until I got down to Florida. I don't think there really was I can think off right off the bat. And then you went into middle school and junior high, and I don't really remember much in junior high. And then high school is when you started doing the productions. Right. We did, I guess we did one every year. I say we. I wasn't involved with them except one year when we did Bye Bye Birdie, they needed, I was always in the art club, because okay. you know, I have an artistic background, right. that they had us do the sets. So we did the sets for Bye Bye Birdie, making the town, oh, uh, cool. the, the, yeah. the main street, you know, the billiard halls and things like that, and the shopkeeper's place. And, and blah, what were blah, you blah. making these out of? Was it oh, they were just plywood, you know, just paint them. Yeah, but you know, pretty cool just, though. They were just vertical yeah. pieces of plywood. Yeah. But we did, uh, our, again, they did, I know Bye Bye Birdie, South Pacific, I would have again. I would have thought they did one each year, so that'd be four years. But I can't remember any other yeah. two if they did. Now, just to just to drop back a little bit in conversation, you said you visited the ballet, and what did you think of the ballet when you saw that? Whichever production it was, it doesn't matter. But just ballet in general. I I, Not I your barely now. I, I asked because... And I just barely remember us going. I can just say that we did. I couldn't even tell you what year in school it was or even what theater we went to to see it. I have attended ballet, uh, ballet production twice. Uh, and the reason this stands, stands out in my mind is the first time I saw a ballet, it was... And I can't think exactly which troupe it was. I want to say it was the Bolshoi Ballet, but that seems like it, seems like it couldn't have been. But it was certainly a, a Russian troupe that were on tour and I, I, I have a feeling it was Swan Lake 
And I, I was completely new to ballet. I'd never been before, like you know, like you hadn't been before until you'd seen it. But I just remember watching this production of Swan Lake with these with these dancers and being absolutely enthralled with with their ability to do what they did, like to watch them turn and their poise and and they were so near soundless was as they were as they were dancing on stage. And I just came away thinking, wow. Well, you were probably much older and more mature. Yeah, yeah, much yeah. older. Oh, yeah, this yeah, is much older than like, you, you I was. You certainly appreciate it. Yeah, I, I wasn't a, a kid. More. No, no, I wasn't a kid at this time. I was, yeah. I was mid mid twenties, and, and I came away thinking, my goodness, that was just incredible, incredible ability Very that good. they have. Now, in contrast, well, I don't want to mention the name of the second group that I saw, but they were British based. They were a British based troupe, and tragically, lamentably, they sounded like a herd of elephants traveling across the stage in comparison to the Russian dancers. Oh. Yeah, it's just, the, and again, I just remember coming away with that difference thinking, wow, these men and women are capable of doing something that I in a thousand years could never do. But it just goes to show the difference between the professionals of a one troupe and another to see and hear, particularly hear the difference between the two of yeah. them. Well, just like in everything in life, there's the elite <laughs> and then there's the rudimentary. There really you know, it's, yeah, there's so many yeah. levels that you can you can uh, yes, absolutely. And, uh, experience. I don't want to be, I, I don't want to sound critical really of, of either troupe, either, I want to say chorus line, that's not correct in ballet because I can do anything that they do, but I just remember you're right. Hearing and seeing the difference between the two was was outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. My next, uh, I guess, the next real experience was in college. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff that comes through or happens while you're in college, which is, and I wish I honestly did more of them. We had activities cards, and they would, you know, you could punch, you could go see a performance for like two or three dollars, you know, as a student because you got really, you know, amazing discounts. It's considered part of your your yeah, thing. That's true. Well, one semester. I took theater. Okay. And I must have really liked it because I lived off campus and it was an 8 a.m. class and I still made it every time. So that's saying something right there. <laughs> the fact that I could get, get up, get myself driven over there, yeah. find a parking spot and make it to the uh, class on time, I must have enjoyed it. But we didn't perform anything. It was a semester of more or less exercises and, you know, introducing yourself to the possibility yes. of acting and putting yourself in scenarios and da, 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 da. but it was it was fun but part of the requirement of that semester was you have to go see all the productions that are being put on by the university that that season okay. which may be like six right and since there were a requirement obviously I went to all of them uh, the only one I, I missed one which I think crimes in the heart and I just did not get it done by the time it had finished and, and, and had to, we had to present and talk about it. Well, fortunately, it's one that had been a movie. So I ran down to the local blockbuster and watched the movie the night before. So at least in Q&A the next day, I could hold my own. Yeah. But I kind of cheated on that one a little bit. Yeah. But so, so for every production that you saw, you had to do, we talked a little bit about this. It was, it was kind of a show and tell. I mean, that sounds like a, that's the wrong description, but you had to talk about the production at yeah. class the next week. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I remember. Yeah. So you couldn't just say, yes, I definitely attended that with shifty eyes and move on. Because they want, yeah, they want to hear what your thoughts are, what you thought was excellent about it, what you thought could have been improved, yeah. where you saw, you know, some shining star, that type of thing. Yeah. More car chases. And I can't remember. Yeah, exactly. I can't remember the first Camille. Seems like it might have been. I may, I may be getting it wrong and people are like, well, that never happened. Or they may say, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that one. But we had two theaters 
at the University of Tennessee. The main one is called the Clarence Brown Theater. That's yeah. the one's your traditional stage okay. with a nice, you know, rising up, you know, seating yeah. area yeah. that looks yeah. down on it. It's, it's pretty good size. And then there's a one that's just literally right across the courtyard, just a few hundred, hundred feet away. Okay. And that one's in the round, like you said. Right. And I can't remember which one that one's called, but one I one I saw there was called Psycho Beach Party. Okay. That semester, okay. and I don't remember the plot, but it was just—it was supposed to be like what are your Annette Funicello, Frankie Avalon type oh, scenarios, okay, right. but somebody in it is a is a psychopathic killer, uh, and it's total comedy. Right. Um, the other one I saw at that same theater that semester, which I really liked, was called Ceremonies in Dark Old Men, oh, and it was—it was actually uh, originally done, I think, in '69, maybe. And it's a story of a Harlem barbershop, or people around a Harlem barbershop. Yeah. In the 40s? Okay. Maybe, yeah, you know, I can't remember exactly when it was, but yeah. it was definitely earlier on. So, terrific costume, I'm going to guess. Good costuming, yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and it was really nice in the round because, you know, the, the, the actors would enter through the crowd and stuff like that. It was really interactive. Yeah. And it was really a powerful story. And at the very end, I mean, it just had one of those ending moments that they just, something happens and it goes completely black. And you're okay. just left with right. the, the repercussions of what have ha has happened. Oh, and that's the end of the and show. That's the end of it. Right, right. And it was really good. Yeah. And I still remember that. And uh, actually, I still remember uh, I was at uh, a local like pub um, a few months later, and one of the main actors in it was just happened to be in there. He's just you know, I don't know if he's a student. He might have been a grad student at that time. Okay. But I just remember getting to say, I really enjoyed you in Ceremonies and Dark Old Men. He said, Well, thank you. And actually, he ended up. Uh, he did a lot of stuff, I guess, then, because being as that was fall semester, the last one they showed of the season was um, A Christmas Carol. Okay. And they were known for doing that every year. Yeah. And really, the set was the star of that one because they built it years before, but it was, it was mechanical and like the scenes with, like, if somebody, if they, he walks through his front door yes. with Marley's ghost on the, the, th the thing, yeah. as he's walking up the, the, the stairs, the stairs turn. So as it's a spiral stairs oh, up, they wow. turn to keep him always in front of the audience. And he reaches and, his and bedroom. And he reaches his bedroom. From yeah, oh, I the, can see the, that in my mind. Yeah. What a cool set. And, yeah. and the point he uh, finds his um, gravestone, it spins around to reveal that it's him. You know, it's just oh, really, wow. really good. I barely got a ticket for that one because they were all they were sold out. Fortunately, I ran into somebody I knew outside the venue the day of the show, and he said, "I've got one." I'm like, "Thank goodness." I'll have to fudge yeah. my way through another uh, Q&A. Yes, I would love to see that production. But yeah, that was really how, nice. how you describe the, the set and the turning of the stairs, it's, it's, that sounds wonderful. I can just see that happening. Yeah. Well, speaking of A Christmas Carol, let me jump ahead, oh gosh, 10 years. And we were in Jacksonville, Florida, and I actually started uh, dating someone. And Christmas came around, and they were doing A Christmas Carol at one of the big theaters in Jacksonville. But it was a musical. Oh. Let me just put it this way. A Christmas Carol should not be a musical. And I kind of came away from that one going, eh, no, no. Not really. But thinking about things that should never have been made into a musical, uh, I do know. In fact, I have the DVD because I was so horrified by it that I brought the DVD. Um, that, that George Orwell's 1984 was made into an opera. <laughs> wow. Yes, exactly. I, well, little what? I know from it from you so far, which I still need to read it, obviously. Yeah. That should probably not be a musical either. This should not be, a, this should not be an operatic performance. I don't. That's almost like springtime for Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was along those same lines, yes. And I was, 
I heard about this, you know. George Orwell, I can't, can you just imagine George Orwell turning in his grave thinking, what have you done to my masterpiece? But it just goes to show, I suppose, and I may be wrong, it just, just goes to show that if you have the ability to finance a production, someone will take that money and make a production for you. That's the business side of uh, the industry, I would guess. Well, I think the listeners probably found out that if they're hearing something, the rain has set in. So if you hear anything in the background droning on, that is the, the rain joining us. So just, just to let you know that yeah. that's what it is. Yes, it's, uh, it really is teeming down now. But we will continue on until we'll, we... If you hear the first lightning strike, we may we, have... We may scramble. <laughs> but we are yeah. pretty safe on the porch here and, and fairly dry, I hope. So. Well, uh, back to being at the University of oh, Tennessee. Yes, that's right, yes. um, I obviously did those during that, you know, then in that the semester I saw all those uh, performances. And another one I went to see, and you might remember this group. You remember Momenschultz? Mm, no. You, I want to say yes, but, but the real answer is no. When I, when I start telling you who they were, you'll recognize okay. it. I, I can't remember. They were big in the 70s, but I think they started before that. All right. But it was kind of a mime troupe. And like two of them would come out and their face would be a thing of clay and they would sit and they would start making stuff out of the face and they would make uh, you know, an expression of the, of the clay okay. and it may be sad and the other one will yeah, look at them yeah, okay. and there, you know, no words spoken and then they change their face to go along with it. I, you know, I've got to say that doesn't sound familiar at all. But once again, like your Marley set, uh, the Ghost of Marley, I can see that. I can see it happening. Well, another one they would they would do. They would have two. They would have little tear off pads. Two on one on each eye mm. and one at the mouth. And they were already pre laid in there. Like he teared two of them off and he'd be steering this way. And the person next to him would do the same thing and be staring at them. And then the cool. other one would peel off and look the other direction, being coy. Yeah. And and they just had the whole routine down. Wow. Um, and just different things. Uh, they were actually, uh, if you ever were a fan of Northern Exposure, yeah. the group ended okay. up at Northern Exposure uh, in the town at one point. Oh, okay. All right. Because uh, they had one that was just like a giant, like almost like the uh, tube you have on the back of your dryer vent. Yes. Uh, it was a giant one of those, and it would just kind of shuffle across the stage, and it had this like ball, and it would like go poop, and it'd shoot the ball into the crowd. It was very light, like a balloon, and right. it would land, and you were to throw it back, and if it got close, it would catch and go poop. And then if somebody threw it too far, it would, it would kind of look in the direction of the ball and swiftly turn around and look at the guy who threw it. But all it was was this circle looking at you. Like, like, what did you just do? Yeah. So, but it was a whole, you know, big performance. I, I yeah. took this girl I was interested in seeing at the time. But, but, but that just highlights, really, I, I mean, not one to the same pretentious in any way, but it highlights the magic of theater, how things don't need to be complicated to be impressive. Exactly. Simple things will work, right? Simple things will work. Hey, what, are, what, other, what other theater have you seen that stands out in your mind? Well, I think the first time I ever saw a, a you know, genuine Broadway production, uh, I've never been to New York, so I never saw anything on Broadway or off-Broadway in the city. But uh, when I was living in D.C., we saw the Beauty and the Beast okay. at, at, the Kennedy, right. at the Kennedy Center. Yeah. So I guess that was the first big, you know, traveling Broadway production yeah. I ever saw, and that was mm, 97, somewhere around there. And that was very good. I remember enjoying it quite a bit. You just mentioned earlier on springtime for Hitler, which of course comes from the producers. And uh, I know this is slightly off, off, off topic, although in fairly recent years, of course, it, it was being turned into a Broadway show. But when I first saw the movie, The Producers, I was absolutely hooked. I mean, it was one of the most magical films I've ever seen. Just the whole, the whole idea of putting on a show that was 
designed to fail, just caught my imagination, and, uh, and how the characters interacted with one another. Uh, but most especially, the big musical number, Springtime for Hitler, because I just remember thinking at the time, you know, you've got to get this absolutely right, or it'll be a complete disaster. For the, for the movie itself, you yeah. know, for, 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 for how it must be portrayed, but to have this wonderful, over-the-top Broadway dance production of Springtime for Hitler. In the movie, it worked fantastically well. And I did go to see the Broadway production some years ago. Um, and uh, I remember thinking at the time, goodness, I, I wonder if Broadway will be able to produce the same wonderful effects to make that production of the dance thing work. But they did. Yeah. It worked very well. I and mean, I think the whole production of the producers stands or falls on whether or not that one number works and they got it right. Yeah, very good. Right. Very yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hopefully we're kind of getting the I actually what made me uh, think about bringing up this topic is recently uh, my wife said that Wicked is coming back to Charlotte. Okay. And we're going to take our daughter. That'd be great. So it'll be her first definitely first big you know stage experience yeah and she loves the wizard of oz that was her that was her first movie that i think she ever well yeah i think it was her first movie she ever saw and she was just enamored with it as a, as a little one and i think she's really going to get a kick out of it maybe we'll start her down that road of you know appreciating theater yeah. and stuff like that well the, i mean the wizard of oz is 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 tremendous but i think the thing that does it for me and i'm sure countless others is that shift from black and white to color when it happens yeah that alone is a wonderful. Well, in 1939, that was pretty yeah, impressive. You know, absolutely, just to to make that happen. But, and I'm not sure the history. I'm sure, gentle listener, there would be many that could could tell me about this. But I think just that idea. Whether I'm not aware of any other movies having done it at the time. Maybe someone had done it before. Maybe someone did it after. I don't know. But I just remember that moment. It just wow. Look at yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was living with uh, roommates in college, we were living off campus, and uh, it was it was probably 89, so it was uh, probably, I guess, the 50th anniversary. And they got the video, we got it around Christmas, I guess, or somebody had you know, given it to one or the other one as a gift, so we decided to watch it that night. And I think it was maybe my girlfriend, it started off and she said, I always thought this movie was in color. And we just kind of looked at each other and go, no, no, it's just the way it is. And we just left it that way right, until right, right. it changed. So, yeah. And now she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, because you're like going, I thought this was very colorful, but, uh, you know. Yes. That makes me think of um, The Duchess and the Dirtwater Fox, which is a wonderful movie. We've most spoken about it before with Goldie Horn and uh, George Siegel. Uh, but when that, this is something completely different, but it always sticks in my mind. When that movie starts and you're watching it on DVD, you always think that there must be some problem with the language settings because it starts for the first five minutes in German. And you're never entirely sure why. <laughs> why it's, I mean, you have to watch the movie to figure it out. But um, I mean, that, that, the fact that it starts in German has caught me out at least three or four times. If I've not watched the movie for a while, no. I'm going to put the like, DVD check, on. The, check the settings. Yeah, just check the settings. And I think, hang on, no, it's right. What's going on here? But anyway, another one of those things. Mm. First five minutes were in German. Yeah. You know, one that I would, it's funny, it's going the opposite direction. I think it might have been a stage production at one time, but one that I would like to see as a stage production is The Bad Seed. Are you familiar with that? No. It's well, a, the name's it's, familiar. It's the movie from, I think, 1955. Okay. Uh, about the uh, really sugary, sweet uh, little girl who's actually a, a psychopath. Oh. 
Okay. And, but almost the whole movie, it, again, it's known for the movie, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Patty McCormick. Okay. Uh, player. Well remembered, by the way. And there's a couple of famous people in in the movie. One of them became the Maytag repairman later. I can't okay. remember his name, but he's in it. Uh, and the guy that played Sam Drucker on uh, uh, Petticoat Junction and the Beverly Hillbillies and yeah. all that. Uh, Green Acres. Okay. He's in it. But the literal, I mean, they could, almost the whole movie is set just in the main living room of this apartment yeah. in, in Washington, D.C. Right. Now, there, with the movie, there are a few scenes, like in the bedroom and a couple outside, but you can easily see how the whole movie could take place just on a one bedroom or one uh, living room set. Yeah, and stage, I think yeah, I yeah. think it maybe has been or had been done right. on the theater, but I would like to see that, see it done like that. Yes, yes, I think yes, I can see that working. Absolutely, makes me think of a streetcar named Desire, which is also a play, of course, you know. But uh, the movie again, you can use so many different sets when you're in a movie, but but to contain. The actors and actresses on on stage in limited in limited sets, I think, is a fabulous thing. Yeah, to be able to do that. Yeah, don't let the sets steal from the actors. Yes, but I, I mean, I still I, yes, I'm thinking back to the ghost train uh, where we well pretty much where we came in on this conversation. Um, I want to say the chap that wrote it is Arnold Ridley. Arnold Ridley. I'm sure that's the chap's name. Now I say that we may have talked about him before because his his he was very famous in the 1970s for appearing in a British comedy called Dad's Army about the Home Guard in the Second World War. Um, but he's probably more famous as I think the grandfather of Daisy Ridley of Star Wars fame, played Ray. Oh, okay. I think that's the connection. So there's the there's the the acting connection. Uh, but when I think back to the Ghost Train, I'm I'm pretty sure the entire production of the Ghost Train, the play, is on one fixed set of just the waiting room of the, of the train station. I can't remember any other shift at all of, of the scenery. But a wonderful play. Back to that. Anyway, a wonderful play. Yeah. I'm sure his name's Arnold Ridley. We'll check that, gentle listener. Well, that's it's so wonderful to have. <laughs> the internet's hard disposal. Because going right back when we were talking about pantomime, if you're not familiar with it, and gentle listener, if you've never seen any pantomime, I I am absolutely sure you could go onto YouTube and find 20 different fantastic pantomime productions from yeah. the there, yeah. One one genre that I've I've never seen live is opera. And again, I'm not sure if it would be my thing, but right. you know, at some point I should say I've been to one. Yeah. It just hasn't yeah. come up yet, or you know, somebody inviting us to go or whatever. But yes. uh, that'd be interesting, I think, to see and you know, decide you know from that point on, it either overwhelms you and you love it, or you just go, well, it's not, again, not my thing. Yes, I, I, you know, in in an alternative universe, I think I would like to have been an opera singer. I, I, I think that would be a fun. Tremendously fun profession. Well, I don't think you can, can do that and illuminate manuscripts well, uh, centuries ago at the same time. <laughs> Pick one and go. <laughs> two entirely different alternative lifestyle careers. But uh, yeah, I think there's something magical about being able to project one's voice with 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 such passion. Yeah, and you kind of always one of those things. If you've never tried it, you always wonder how good you would have been. No, or, that's exactly know. right. I'm, I'm, we've talked about this many times, maybe on air, maybe not on air, but. Uh, you never know where your talents lie until you give things a go. You don't know if you would be good at theatre, we're having a conversation about theatre, until you 
hopped on stage and tried. And I, I do feel the same about, about opera singing or singing or choir singing in general, you know. I think I would have taken to that if only I would have been exposed to it as a kid, but I never was. But when I hear opera singers and that wonderful deep baritone voice and that sort of presence on stage, I think it's fabulous. And I'm no opera buff at all. And I, my only real experience of opera is uh, listening to opera in many different you know, digital media, but also uh, watching, occasionally I'll watch an opera on, on YouTube just for the thrill of it. But not much, but I, I think that's a cool, cool way to earn a living. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's never too late. You might give it a go, as you say. That's right. Don Giovanni. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny uh, talking about this topic right now, period. We're just now getting to where you can go out and start seeing productions again. That's yeah. what, again, what made us think about it, that, you know, Wicked was coming back through. So it's probably a good, you know, advice for our listeners. This has been a very struggling, very struggling uh, industry for the past year. And when they could, when other places could at least be open, they had nothing to do. Yeah. You so get probably out a good, good time to get out and support Get support out them. and support them. Yeah. 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 Get the lights back on on Broadway and they're going to be traveling things. Well, and, of course, man. they would love that. I have no idea how so many of these companies have survived, if they have survived so long. I mean, turning the lights out for a couple of nights a week is one thing in Broadway, but just imagine the upkeep and the expense of those buildings and theaters yeah. for a year. Anyway, that's a different conversation for a different day. The rumbling of the thunder, gentle listener, tells us that we really need to wrap this conversation up. I think we're to stay dry. I think before we're going to have to. That's right. Yes, before we get struck by lightning, <laughs> struck by Congress, as Bob Dylan would say. All right. Well, well, that was fun. Thanks it was. For that. I don't know yeah. how you do that, Kevin. You always seem to come up with fabulous topics. Yeah, I'd never thought about that in the round production of the submarine and the sea monster, and I haven't thought about it for well, I'm 58 now, so pretty much 45 years, probably, if not more. Amazing. Join us again for another episode of. Match it and the other guy. From me, bye bye now. We shall return, maybe in drier conditions. <laughs> That's right. Toodles. <laughs>